Blog Talk Radio. The headlights are a cut in the fog on a midnight highway. And 18 wheels are a driving through the dawn. There's a Blue Ridge Mountain sunrise filling the mirror. Ashtrays full, the coffee's almost gone And the truckers heading west to Colorado Passing the miles with his friends on the CB coast And tonight the truck stops somewhere out in nowhere And tomorrow's the wind and the open road Welcome to the Interactive Internet. I'm your host, Pete Carr, welcoming you to our Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening show. And uh, we're doing the show a little differently today. You're not going to notice much difference. You may hear a little background noise, and I'll explain that in a few minutes. But right now, I am uh, I am waiting for Lou to come on. Um, she's getting home from work about this time. And she tries to get on just as soon as she can when the show starts. I am working the switchboard, so I will tell you what. Um, if you're of a mind to give a call, that would be 646-478-5150. We had the, uh, the first two uh, GOP debates this past week. I say two because... Uh, Fox, what was it, Fox News, I guess, or CNN, whoever had it. In fact, I didn't even watch it, folks. tell you the truth, I didn't watch the debate, so I don't know who had it. I believe it was CNN. Anyway, uh, they split the debate panel up into two parts because there's like 16 or 18 major candidates running on the Republican side. And they had the uh, the first uh, first group and that was not televised. And then the second group was, was basically the primetime players, and that was televised. Uh, that happened the other day, and apparently uh, Donald Trump made a fool of himself. You know, I, I got into a little bit of a conversation yesterday and the day before about this. I'd like to see somebody run for national office that has a combination of public and private service. Now, we were uh, the person I was talking to, we were referring specifically about Bernie Sanders, who's basically been a politician since the age of 30. Before that, he was a student and an instructor. So he really doesn't have a whole lot of uh, the work-a-day world under his belt, so to speak. And I said that I would like to see somebody that, that has done 
a manager's job. You know, uh, somebody maybe that came up from the ranks in the military. But it's somebody who's gotten their hands dirty, so to speak. I noticed the other day that uh, there is a Democratic candidate in Mississippi uh, running for governor. Uh, This particular individual got the majority of votes in their primary, and he did not expect to to get any of it. And he is a 40-some-odd-year-old divorced truck driver. Well, one of my conservative friends thought it was funny that he was a truck driver running for governor. You know, when we're out here, folks, we see things. We see the economy. We are the economy. Now, they say that, that, the, that, that our wheels put, you know, we put the wheels under American industry, and we damn sure do, just like my theme song. Um, in fact, I don't know. I, if I had my full theme song, I had it. I don't know if I still got it. Let me look. No, I don't see it. Okay. I thought we had the full theme song available. I will make make it available. Anyway, that's what we do. And, and we see firsthand how the economy is going. When... Uh, when you're sitting around a truck stop and you can't find a load and there's nothing happening, you know the economy's slow. When they can't find enough trucks to haul the freight, then you know the economy's picked up. Now, we see this every day, folks. We know who's buying what and where everything is going. So to, to think that, that it's funny that a truck driver would run for a public office, um, you know, we're business people. You have to be an accountant, a lawyer. You have to be aware of the laws of 48, 49 different jurisdictions if you count D.C. You have to know the laws in each of those states, what you can and cannot do. You have to be able to deal with the, with the bureaucrats in 48 states and know how to go through the process, like to get an oversized permit, or an overweight permit, uh, you have to know that times 48. You have to know the weather. What's it look like up ahead? Are you going to be delayed? Do you need to take another route? Um, You need to be a trip planner. The weather, the roads, the traffic, and everything come into consideration when when you're laying out your route, how you're going to get that load safely to destination. Many different things that, that truckers do these days. Many different things. Well, and now that we're in the, in the electronic age, uh, you have to have a working knowledge, knowledge of computers and smartphones in order to communicate with your dispatch. I was mentioning the other night that uh, most of the appointments and deliveries, most of those now are done via email. Nobody calls anybody anymore. They don't call and set the delivery appointments up with with the receiver. They email back and forth. And if you're an independent owner-operator, you're a businessman that that grosses, let's hope, somewhere above $300,000 to $400,000 a year. You're running a business, and you have to know how to run that business successfully. 
the days of being, you know, just kind of a happy-go-lucky steering wheel holder, those, those are pretty much over. You have to have a lot of intelligence in order to get this done. And while you're doing that job, you're watching what's happening around you. You're seeing the economy going places. You know what's going to work and what's not going to work because you see it every day. Anyway, that's my plug for truck drivers and public service. You know, somebody, and, and getting back to Bernie Sanders, but somebody, I want somebody that has, you know, maybe not driving a truck, but certainly um, working in an office, watching what's going on, seeing how that, that business functions from day to day. And I, I got into a little philosophical discussion late last night uh, with one of my legal friends, and I said, you know, the law tells you what's what's right and what's wrong, but the law doesn't tell you why. That's where the practical experience comes in. And I said, I believe that coming out of college should have two years in a public defender's office. They should go in and see how the law affects everyday people. You know, it's very easy for a judge to impose a sentence or to um, prescribe a fine for somebody because that judge doesn't have to pay that or that judge doesn't have to take 30 days or 90 days out of their, out of their world and, and go, you know, sit in a jail cell for 90 days. It's easy for them to do that. They don't see the hardships and the heartache that all of that causes. Okay. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Right? But people get caught up in things. Or people are sued. And all of a sudden, they've got to come up with big water dollars. And they're just barely scraping by. You know, the judge that, that imposes that penalty doesn't care, doesn't see it, doesn't know it exists. He or she does not know how hard it's going to be for your family to pay somebody, to pay a fine or a penalty, or if you're sued by somebody else, to pay somebody else. You know, my God, look at up in Portland, Oregon, folks. Or, or, no, excuse me, that was the flower people. Um refused flower uh, service for a lesbian couple that was going to get married. Anyway, the lesbian couple is suing them for hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. Hundreds of thousands. Um, I think it was 134000 is what they said. This is what this couple has to come up with to satisfy these two greedy individuals. Thing that word came out that these two women were coached in how to approach the florist and what to ask for. It was a setup. They were in it for the money, folks. That's all it is. They were just in it for the money. Anyway, it was kind of interesting. There was a GoFundMe campaign that started right after this. Uh, this $134,000 or $137,000 decision against them. Uh, the, the GoFundMe campaign, they needed, I think, 
they, they got somewhere above 400,000. People kicking in, 10, 20, 50 bucks, whatever. You know, now the lesbian couple, they only got 137, and the rest of it goes to this, uh, the floors. They're going to come out further ahead than they ever would. Anyway, smart. I'll tell you what, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, it is almost 20 after, and I don't see Lou on here yet. Hmm. Lou, if, uh, if you can hear me and you call in, will you hang up and try it again? Because I'm not seeing you on the switchboard. I don't know, folks. I don't know what happened to Lou. We'll hang in here a few more minutes and see what happens. Anyway, that's what I was talking about. We were talking about the difference between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Um, yeah, Hillary Clinton does have some private work primarily with, like, the Rose Law Firm, uh, Tyson Foods. She was on the board of directors. You know, she's done uh, private sector work. It's, it's not running an auto parts store or anything like that. Uh, but it is working, uh, you know, not in the public sector, but as a, uh, as a regular worker. And I can't speak to um, to how good she was on the board of, of uh, Tyson Foods. Um, Rose Lawson, we know they've had a lot of problems over the years with Bill and Hillary Clinton and all that. So um, be that as it may, at least Hillary Clinton has some real-world experience where Bernie Sanders has practically nothing. Now, let's give Bernie some credit because he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont. And, and a mayor is like a general manager or an administrator. They're not a legislator. Make law. They, they basically, um, you know, run the state run the different departments and deal with that. If the city has a union, they deal with their, their, their management to uh, to the union side. You know, so, uh, so Bernie Sanders in being there, he's had to run something. Anyway, I think we got on here. Hang on a second. Hey, Pete. Sorry to be so late. No, that's all right. That's yeah. all right. You okay? That, yeah, okay, last-minute customer. And, of course, I can't leave until they're done, so. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were, yep. just, um, we, we were just discussing um, the fact that when a person runs for national office, I would like to see uh, a person who has had a combination of public service and the business world. Uh-huh. Um, Bernie Sanders has basically been um, a legislator. You know, he's he's the long, I believe, he's senator now. Um, He's basically been in politics uh, since I was three years old. Wow, that's too long. Yeah, that's a long time. That is a long time. Now, I did... I give give Bernie some credit because he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont. And and when you're the mayor of a city, you're the you're the head manager. You're the person that has has to make sure that everything 
works. That all of the services for the public are done. Well, you got a, you got a lot of noise in your background there, Lou. That's probably me. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's um, you know that that was my uh, that was that was my thing of the day, basically, in that uh, I like to see somebody who has practical, hands-on business experience as well as public service uh, because the United States government is is a combination of public and private sector. You know, yes, I it is. Public, public sector because it provides public services on a national scale. Also, to the business world because it creates regulations for business. And and I also said that I would like to see um, every attorney and every judge have in their portfolio two years as a public defender. Where mm-hmm. where they and, and my you know, my contention is is that the law basically tells you what is right and what is wrong. But what it doesn't tell you is why. They'll tell you, if you enforce this law, then this can happen to the people you enforce it upon. You know, the, the law is blind in, in that it doesn't know or care about the real-world implications of their law. But, you know, there's always cause and effect. If, um, if you take somebody that, that's making going to $22,000 a year gross, for whatever reason, you impose a fine on that person of $50,000. You know, that's more than two times what the person makes in a whole year to live on. How are they going to pay that back? You know, you, you have to take into consideration the real world in dealing out laws. Law, the law, I don't think, should be blind. I think the I think the law should be wide open to the consequences. You know, there was a shooting in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and according to some reports, one of the Navy lieutenants on the scene um, had a private firearm in his possession and allegedly took a couple shots at the uh, at the shooter at the perpetrator. Now. Department of Defense has a rule that, that you cannot have privately owned weapons on military establishments. They were going to charge this guy under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. They were going to charge him with, with uh, committing a crime, even though the circumstances were such that having that weapon was a positive thing in that situation. Well, you know, the Navy has to follow the UCMJ. They have to follow the law. They have to go through the motion. You know, I used to say when I was growing up in an Army family, they used to say the right way, the wrong way, and the Army way. And this is the right way, the wrong way, and the Navy way. The Navy way says you have to have determined whether a crime was committed and that it would go on to court or if there was no crime, uh, but a lesser offense, then it could go to, uh, like, an Article 11, Article 13 um, 
you know, basically a slap on the wrist. Or he could be completely exonerated. But the point is, you have to have the military equivalent of the grand jury, which is an Article 35 hearing. You have to have that. And I go along with that. You have to go through the motions. You have to go, you have to say, at the end of that period, you have to say, we followed the letter of the law and found nothing wrong. Because without following the procedure, it's left up to interpretation. It'll always be hanging over his head. Did he actually commit a crime or not? You need that result. The law, and I say, okay, this is what the law says. This is the the practical application of it is that he shouldn't go before an Article 35. But I understand you cannot leave something untied. You can't have a loose end in the military. When it comes to code of conduct, um, following military orders, and, and military law, you've got to go through the motion. There's no way around it. We have to hold our military for a higher standard. And we have to apply that standard in every case. Um, so anyway, Lou, now that I've pretty much got all my stuff out for today, oh, um, let, let's, let's, let's hit the, um, and I tweeted this earlier, let's hit the GOP debate for just a minute, folks. I know in the second tier debate, early Fiorina came out the clear winner. Um, she picked up a lot of followers on Twitter in the hours following the debate. In the primetime debate, basically Donald Trump made a fool of himself. Uh, so there you are. We have we have a winner, we have a loser. We have Carly Fiorina as a clear winner, we have Donald Trump as a clear loser. And like Forrest Gump said, and that's all I need to say about that. Anyway, Lou, now that you're home, I can fill you in on what happened in the last twelve hours. Yeah, that would be uh let's let's use the word interesting. Okay, folks. You know, this is one of those times when, when trucking is not a real fun job. Yeah. Uh, I had an appointment down here in Stockton at 9 a.m. I was up in Fernley, Nevada. I got to Fernley about uh, 7, 8 o'clock last night. And uh, I knew it was about three, four hours from there down to uh, Stockton. So I set my alarm for 4 a.m., my time, which is actually 3 a.m. Pacific. Got everything together, got my logbook together because I was going into California. Um, Left out of the truck stop at 3 o'clock. I got to the uh, Donner, California, the Truckee, California sales at 4 o'clock, and they gave me a DOT inspection. Everything came out fine except that up on the uh, left-hand side of the engine is the fuel filter, and then there's a couple of high-pressure lines that come out of the fuel filter and go into the engine. Well, one of the high-pressure lines was leaking fuel on the ground. So I was put out of service. Um, we called a, uh, a local uh, mobile repair guy. He came out, took a look at it. Went back to his shop, got some parts, uh, came out. Hang on. 
uh, he uh, got some parts, put a new fitting and everything's in the uh, in the in the high pressure fuel line, and uh, I got it reinspected and out of there, and I made it here, and it's stocked in at eleven o'clock. Um, I was two hours late for my appointment. Anyway, no big deal. They told me what door to back in. And I started to back in, and there was a couple of other drivers walking by my truck. And the guy said, hey, you got uh, you got a, a fuel leak or something. I can smell fuel. Anyway, I backed the trailer into the dock, and I got out, and there was fuel just pouring out of the front of the engine. I'm making a bit. I'm making an EPA-sized puddle out on the ground. Anyway, I shut the truck off, uh, flipped the hood up, and apparently the high-pressure line that that the guy unscrewed and put new fittings on apparently the line itself broke. So I'm blowing fuel all over the place. Anyway, my customer here got their product out of the trailer. Um, I checked out with the gate guard, and I pulled out here on the street and parked the truck. And I have been sitting on this street, broke down ever since. Now, I left, I pulled out of the dock at 11.30. It is 3.30 local time. So I've been sitting for four hours now. Um, My dispatch in Denver found yet another mechanic that came out here, he took a look at it, he put some silly cutting on the fuel line. It's uh, it's a special compound that goes on metal, and, and it's kind of a, a quick weld putty. It will it will seal a leak temporarily until you can basically get the truck to the shop. Um, there is a... Uh, International and Peterbilt dealer about six miles from here. So I am going to sit here on the street overnight, and I've got plenty of drink. Um, I've got plenty of food. I've got some groceries in the uh, back there in the reaper, keeping cool. I've got a nice big uh, double-sized Italian hero sandwich, and I've got some some cheese and some yogurt. Um, I don't have the dog with me this step like and Marie is actually down there with uh, Mary Lou. Anyway, uh, sometime around 5 o'clock in the morning, I've got to get up and, and crank this truck up and drive it around the corner down to the peak dealer and get a new fuel line for that trip. So i got one delivery off, and the rest of them are going to be late. And there's nothing I can do about it because I drove out on the street right now um, without that that metallic city soil putty. I would get pulled over by CHP and we would be paying for its hazardous materials. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's how much fuel it's, it's pumping. Anyway, let's hope that this patch holds till I get down to Peterborough. Anyway, that's what's going on. Oh, by the way, folks, it's about 89 degrees here. And because I cannot run my tractor, I don't have any air conditioning. Now, I am facing east. There's a little breeze. Um, I am literally stuck between Lodi and Stockton, California. 
Remember that great Stillwater song, Lodi, Stuck in Lodi again? Remember that, mm-hmm. lady? Mm-hmm. There, there I am. I'm stuck in Lodi. <laughs> but I'm right on the edge between Stockton and Lodi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where I am, folks. Stuck in Lodi. Mm. And I even posted that on Twitter and I said, I'm living this song today. Yeah, you I are. Am, I am real life stuck in Lodi. Hot. Like I said, I'm I'm facing east. I got the doors and windows open. Um, the bunk, you know, I got the uh, the overhead um, windows, the little wing windows up top. I got those open. Uh, if it gets bad, which it it hasn't yet, but I mean, if it got bad. Um, I could always go and uh, jump in the trailer for a little bit because I've got the trailer set at 18 degrees. I can cool off, folks. That's not a problem. I got water. I got groceries. And as soon as the sun goes down, it's supposed to be down in the 60s here tonight. Oh, um, when I pulled in there at Donna this morning, I pulled into the... Um, into the inspection bay, you know, and they shut the doors and they inspected the truck and the trailer and all that. And uh, anyway, after um, after the mechanic came, I wound up getting a clean inspection and a, a clean inspection sticker for the truck. I think you put one on the trailer, too. Anyway, um, the mechanic had to run back to his shop and get getting some stuff like that, so I told him I was going to lay down for a little bit. And, of course, you know, leaking fuel up there, I couldn't run the truck. Right. I got up about I got up about a half hour later and it was from foggy. I had the windows down just to get some, some breeze through there because, you know, that engine heat radiates up into the truck for hours after you shut it off. Anyway, mm-hmm. I had the windows down and I got cold. So anyway, I got I got onto my iPhone because I have a real nice nine news weather app, and I checked the temperature, and it said thirty seven degrees. It was thirty seven degrees at the top of Donna this morning, folks. Good grief! Yep. You know, and and remember me telling you I have seen it snow in July and August up on the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a snow up at the top of Donner. Now, Donner Pass, um, and I think I told you last night on the phone, it was like 6,000. It's actually, I think the sign says 7119. It's 7,700 feet above sea level. So in in 60 miles or so, I had to go from 7,000 feet to 60 feet. Down, down down the path, you know, down the way. That's path. the drop. Yeah, and I went from I went from 37 degrees to 87 degrees. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been a crazy morning and, and afternoon. And, you know, I feel good that I at least got my first stop off because that puts all the rest of them um, 
you know, I'll be I'll be running around tomorrow after I get the truck out of the shop. And to tell you the honest God truth, folks, who knows how long it's going to take to fix this thing? You know, my my dispatch in Denver um, doesn't really understand trucks a whole lot, and she thought putting this temporary sealer on there, we could drive it around the rest of the day and, you know, drive 50 miles back up to Sacramento and make deliveries and all that. And I said, you know, I said, we're going to be taking a chance going five miles down the road. All we're trying to do is to get it to the field dealer before a CHP file test. Mm-hmm. And I did notice earlier this afternoon while I was sitting there, um, one of the Stockton Public Works pickup trucks drove through here. California is real antsy about stuff being spilled on their ground. If um, if there's a traffic accident and you know, a car gas tank gets ruptured or one of these 120-gallon diesel tanks gets ruptured. Uh, they have hazmat food for them. They go really crazy. Now, in Colorado, we, we don't do that. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard about this, but, but apparently there was a couple of million gallons of gold mine sludge that the EPA was working on containing and somehow, through their misfortune, it got out into the Animus River, and it is working its way to Mexico. The Animus River has turned kind of an ugly, putrid-looking mustard yellow. Millions of gallons of contamination created themselves that did the contaminate. Now, if that was a private company, you'd better believe it. It would be like the Exxon Valdez, or it would be like the Gulf Oil spill. You know, the EPA would be charging them, uh, you know, several gazillion dollars in fines. But because it's the EPA, nobody's going to say anything. You're not going to find out anybody got fired or laid off or, or, you know, no criminal negligence charges. No, nothing, because that's the government, folks. There was basically one phone company in the United States, and that was Dell Telephone. And there, there were some uh, political cartoons, you know, poking, uh, making fun of their monopoly, and and they would have a picture of like a switchboard operator, and underneath this uh, picture it would say, "We don't care, we're the phone company." You know, that's the way the EPA and the government is now. We don't care. We're the government. If we do something wrong, we'll just simply write a law and make it right. Or we'll remove a law, and then you cannot break a law that's not there anymore. Because they don't care. They're the government. Okay, anyway, um, well, I went through a lot. You heard all about my big breakdown, uh, a little bit about our EPA mess up in Colorado. That's about it, uh, Lou. I wanted to wait until you got here so that I didn't have to repeat myself about all the uh, all the breakdown problems. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 
Okay, anyway, um, God, I've been talking steady here for almost an hour, so I've got to give you some minutes. Oh. Well, there's not a whole lot going on on this end. You know, I was late leaving work because of a last-minute customer. And it's funny because all of these customers, the repeat customers, and they all know that we have cutoff times. But they figure they're special and don't have to deal with it. So consequently, we were like 20 minutes, almost 20 minutes late getting out of work. And, of course, I do have a mile or two to drive. But they don't seem to be the least bit worried about it. They don't think. We've decided that's the major thing. They don't think. And they should. People should stop. And I, I do this every Sunday at closing. People need to stop, slow down, whatever. Relax. Quit rushing. Because you wind up making more mistakes that way. Back up. 12 hours isn't going to make that humongous a difference in a lot of different things. And if you time it right, you're going to be on time anyway. I learned many years ago from living in California, as many years as I did, and traveling those roads. I always left an hour early because then I knew I would be at work on time because I would plan for pretty much most any possible thing that could arise. And in California, it can, and it often does. And I have continued that everywhere I've lived since then. I am always early. I prefer waiting on the end of where I need to be instead of rushing to try and get there on time. And a lot of people need to stop and think and do the same thing, and they would have fewer anxiety problems if they did. Yeah. So... Well, That's my feeling um, about late leaving work. You know, for for the most part, uh, modern mankind in general, their world ends at their skin. If it's not within the confines of their own skin, it's not in their world, and they don't give a damn. Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly the way people think. Could be a show, and I'm trying to remember where it was. If it was on Marketplace, which is basically an NPR show, they had a, a series called Conversations from the Corner Office, and it was people who um, were CEOs or presidents of, of corporations, well-known corporations, and they would interview them and ask them how, you know, uh, what do you do? 
plain and simple. Um, if you're the chairperson of Mary Kay Cosmetics, what are you doing at Um, The CEO of, I think it was Wyndham Hilton Hotels, and he said, he said that she is constantly on the road looking at, at their properties around the world. And he says when he goes to a property, it's unannounced. They don't know he's coming. And he takes a regular cab, you know, he, he flies post, he takes a regular cab to his destination, and he has the cab driver drop him off back by the delivery entrance to the hotel. And he looks, he gets out and looks around, and he says, if it's neat and clean, I know the rest of the hotel is going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Because that's the dirt, that's going to be the dirtiest place anywhere where you catch your garbage. And and you can imagine, you know, what some of these places can, can look like with food scraps everywhere and all that. And he says when he comes in, it's unannounced. He goes back to the back area where they, they make their deliveries to the kitchen and all that. And if it's if it looks good, you know, the rest of the hotel is going to look good. And then he goes in and surprises everybody. There was another show, and I think it's either on or it was on recently, where... The, the the head of the corporation would go like uh, the CEO of Wendy's would apply for a job and get a job at a local Wendy's someplace undercover. Mm, undercover boss. Undercover boss. There you go. I think that's just fantastic. Yeah, I think that that's a really good idea because people who make the decision should have firsthand knowledge of the people who those decisions are going to affect. They should be they should get down in there and see, you know, okay, um we're going to change a procedure uh back in our kitchen at Wendy's we're gonna change uh from one routine to another. If they don't understand uh the potential upside and downside of what that, that change in routine is going to be they don't know if it's going to be successful or not until they implement it, and by then it might be too late because you're screwed up. Right. But if you go back and work in that kitchen and have to put on an apron and, you know, the uh, the cook's house, and you have to handle the food, and if, uh, if the, the, the head cook, or the trail boss, or whatever they want to call them. I guess mm-hmm. if you have a if you have a bonanza steakhouse, it would be the it would be the cookie, the head cook. Mm-hmm. If that if that head cook tells you to go over there and pick up that pan and, and dump up the garbage and and wash it up, well then you've got to go do it. It's a necessary mm-hmm. job, no matter what it is. If you're going to stand there and chop lettuce all day, or whatever. You know, understand firsthand the firsthand experience of a real job, folks. That is what everybody in management should do. You know, some years ago, um, and I can't remember which which one it was, but there was a governor of Louisiana. Um, they were, of course, you know, every state has their um, their transportation and trucking rules and regulations and all that. 
in order for him to understand just exactly how that was going to affect the trucking industry, he got in a truck and drove with a driver from Louisiana to California and back. Now, this is back in the late 70s, um, and that was at a time when the um, when the rules for driving were different. Um, we weren't allowed to go over 55 miles an hour. We could only drive 10 hours in a day and all that. And you were lucky to get 500 miles in 10 hours. At, at 55 miles an hour top speed, you were probably averaging about 45 to 50. Maybe a little more if you had a hot truck. But in the real world, if the speed limit is 55, you may as well knock five to seven miles an hour off of that for an average in an hour's time. And he saw firsthand just exactly what's going on in not only in Louisiana, but Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, of being the governor. And he went out on the road in his truck and saw exactly what was happening so that he could better understand the rules and regulations that his state wished to impose upon the trucks. Now, that's good. Of course, you know, you can't have a governor that goes out and does a job every time the state legislators want to impose regulations on an industry. But if it's a major industry, and come on now, trucking is number one in this country. You know, they say without trucks, America stops. That's exactly the truth. Mm-hmm. Right, folks. Yep, it is. You know, I just, I just delivered 2,500 pounds of uh, various cuts of pork, natural Iowa pork, uh, down here to Stockton, California, to a wholesale distributor. They're going to take it and they're going to distribute it to their store customers, and then the retail customers are going to come in and buy their pork. For the way, we have to make sure that that stuff is okay. It has to meet temperature requirements and all that. You know, it had to be, I think, between 28 and 32 degrees. You had to maintain that 28 degrees down from Iowa to here. And they have to maintain it from here on to their retail stores, and, and then you pick it up and take it home in a hot car. Right? Mm-hmm. I do, um, I do specialty meats, folks. That's what I deliver. I deliver pallets of specialty meats. Uh, sometimes it's 50 cases. Sometimes it's 500 cases. I do lamb, buffalo, um, Colorado natural beef. I do bacon. We do this uh, Iowa pork. It's natural pork. You know, that's what my company handles is uh, we do for uh, Columbus and Sands out here in California. Uh, uh, Columbus is the oldest sausage company in California. It's been around since before California was a state. And if you talk to anybody in California that knows sausage, you ask them what's what's the top dog sausage in, in California, and they're going to tell you Columbus. They have the best product. And Sides is right behind. 
we handle their products. We take them and distribute them to the rest of the country so that people can enjoy California-produced sausage. And when I do these trips to the Bay Area, Northern California, and I pick that stuff up and I take it back east, I can tell you which parts of the country is a good seller for their product because that's where we're sending it from them. And I bring it back to our yard then. And then from there, it gets dispersed to the rest of the country. Um, I can tell you for a fact that Chad's in Columbus doesn't sell well in Texas. We don't ship very much to Texas, and that's because there is heavy competition for sausage in Texas. Down there west of Houston and New Braunfels area, um, up towards uh, between Austin and Fort Worth, you know, German areas, German settled areas, and they have a lot of sausage makers in Texas. So we don't send too much California sausage to Texas. We do send it to Florida. So I can tell you they're good sellers in Florida and Georgia. I watch what's going on out here, folks. Anyway, Lou, uh, I think we're about Actually, about a minute. I, I see it says 4.55 my time. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Now I've got 6.55. Ah, okay. No, 6.52, actually, but that's all right. All right. Yeah, we probably got about four or five minutes. So, um, hey, folks, um, you know, I hope you enjoyed today's show. And remember, um, don't, go, don't drive like my son, wherever he's at. And he would tell you don't drive like his father. Um, Lou, appreciate you coming in and uh, helping out here. Always, uh, always enjoy that. Um, you know, you were you were late getting on, but that's no problem. Uh, you had a note from your teacher. Yeah. Yeah, you were working. Yes, I was. Yep. Okay. Anyway, uh, quick final thoughts here, Lou. As usual, please slow down. Don't run over my guys, okay? I kind of like to keep them around a while. But slow down so you get to your destination in one piece and without a nervous breakdown. I'll tell you what, um, Interstate 80 in California, Friday night going east to Reno and Sunday, Sunday all day coming out of Reno back to the Bay Area. And I'll tell you what, Lou, um, I came across there at, like I said, 3, 4 o'clock this morning, and traffic was already building up between Reno and Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, um, seeing as how we're broke down and we were talking about trucking and the trucking industry and all, all that, uh, Lou, I am going to close with our intro song rather than our, our regular closing theme. I'm gonna I'm gonna close today with our with our second theme song, folks. And uh, hey, if you're in Northern California and you see the big yellow Kenworth with the Shepherd trailer, um, honk and wave, and uh, I will probably honk and wave back. Anyway, there you uh, go. Appreciate it, Lou. And uh, folks, thanks for listening. And we'll see you here next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern for the interactive internet with myself. 
and uh, Lou and maybe Brian and uh, your phone calls if you can call in. So thanks, Lou. Thanks, everybody. I am hitting our opening. Don't get confused, folks. We're not starting a new show. We're ending the show with the beginning of the show. We have just gone in a complete circle, Lou. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks. Bye-bye. Lights are cutting the fog on a midnight highway And 18 wheels are a-driving through the dawn There's a Blue Ridge Mountain sunrise filling the mirrors And the ashtray's full, the coffee's almost gone And the trucker's heading west to Colorado Passing the miles with his friends on the CB coast And tonight the truck stops somewhere out in nowhere And tomorrow's the wind and the open road And I believe he's gonna drive that rig to glory And I believe I feel the freedom in his story Riding that diesel one Chasing that long white line